There are those who wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Lord. And there are those who wake up in the morning and say, Good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) So maybe that's applicable for today. So we saw from the talk, the kids' talk earlier, how transient and fleeting happiness can be. That it depends very much on circumstances, whether or not you're in love or whether your girlfriend emigrates to Australia or whether you lose your hamster or find it again. Um, and, but in our society, joy seems to be inextricably linked with happiness. In fact, if you look it up in a modern dictionary, it describes joy as feelings of happiness. Well, I'm not entirely sure about that because... Are we going to get it? Yes. From our reading today, if you look at this, this is all about Jesus the night before he ended up being crucified. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that this was going to be a period of incredible, unimaginable suffering for him. And he knew that his disciples were going to go through an incredible amount of grief as a result of this. And yet... There we go. Yep, that's perfect. He talks about joy. And if you look at those words, he's talking about weeping, anguish, pain, sorrow. And yet in amongst that, he talks about joy. So there's this contradictory thing where actually joy is so intermingled with suffering that actually it kind of can't be separated out. So this definition of a feeling of great pleasure and and happiness is kind of... That's not quite right, is it? And I wonder whether or not the definition of joy, we've actually got it wrong. So, we'll start off, though, with the dictionary's definition of joy being a feeling of pleasure and happiness. And we'll have a look to see whether or not we can actually work with that. So this is from Ecclesiastes, and this is about how to be happy. So the chapel Ecclesiastes wrote, So go and eat your food now and enjoy it. Drink your wine and be happy. It's all right with God if you do these things. Wear nice clothes. Make yourself look good. Enjoy life with the wife you love. Enjoy every day of your short life. God has given you this short life on earth and it is all you have. So enjoy the work you have to do in this life. So, we heard from the kids earlier about what made them happy. I'd like to know what makes you happy. I think we had one from over here. Chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. Grandchildren. Grandchildren. Yes, absolutely. Sunshine. Sunshine. Lovely day today. This might be a bit cloudy. Good food, yes. Gardening. Gardening. Do you want to come do mine? (laughs) Yeah. So, it's interesting that in America, the United States Declaration of Independence, which actually set out what the rights of 
their, the men of that country, talks about preservation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So according to the American Constitution, it is their right to have a life of happiness or to pursue happiness. But is it our right? Is it our right to be happy? I put this slide in for Denisha's hamster penguin. (laughs) Now, 80% of young people, when asked, um, actually say that their goal in life is to be rich. And 50% of them, when asked, say their goal is to be famous. So that's what young people today think happiness is. It's riches, it's being famous, it's celebrity culture. But interestingly enough, there was a study done in America which was, uh, took place over, over the last 75 years and it took a group of about 800 men and it's followed them up all the way through from you know, young age all the way through to say what makes them happy, what makes them healthy. And the interesting thing from this study is actually it wasn't dependent on how wealthy these individuals were. Can anybody have a guess about what kept them happy and healthy? Relationships. Somebody over here said grandchildren. It's relationships. It's the, not only how many good relationships you have in your social network, but it's your quality of relationships. And in fact, the study actually demonstrated that if you have good relationships, it does protect the brain from deterioration from Alzheimer's and from some of the illnesses of old age. So relationships, good relationships with other people, has scientifically been proven to make people happier and healthier. There we go. So happiness, if you look at the root word happiness, it's derived from the word hap which means chance, and that's where we get our word happening from. So happiness is dependent on happenings. So happiness, even from how the word is derived, is dependent on circumstances. So by definition, it is fairly fleeting. But what about joy? Okay, I'm going to throw it open now. Can anybody give me a nice definition of what you think joy is? Okay, when you became a Christian, yeah? And what hap- well, how did you feel? Well, I found out what life was. Yeah, that's lovely. And I think the majority of the people you talked about earlier, if they truly knew Christ, which we all should tell people about, yeah. then they wouldn't say they need money. Yeah, that's true. Anybody else can define joy? Having the right relationship with God. The right relationship with, with God. And peace. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you. Yes. When my husband became a Christian. And that's what you felt. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So a lot of this, again, it's talking about relationships with other people and with God, isn't it? Um, Now, in preparation for this talk, I did do a little bit of Googling about what joy is. And I'd just like to read you out some of the definitions that I've found. So we've got this one. Joy is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, 
confidence and hope. It's something or someone that provides a source of happiness. So, okay, maybe getting there. This one from Robert Schuller. Joy is not the absence of suffering, it's the presence of God. Okay. Joy is the echo of God's life in us. That's from Abbot Marmion. I went to C.S. Lewis because I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the book Surprised by Joy. I thought he's going to have something in there. It's kind of a bit cerebral. He says, all joy reminds it's never a possession or always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. Which is kind of quite deep but very true. So none of these really, in my mind, seem to pin down exactly what joy really is. It's not really a good succinct definition yet. And that's why I was pleasantly surprised to see that even the Bible struggles to define joy. If you look at this, you've not seen Christ, but still you love him. You can't see him now, but you believe in him. You are filled with a wonderful and heavenly joy. That cannot be explained. So I thought, well, if the Bible can't explain it, what hope have I got coming to chat to you today? So that was kind of quite reassuring. Now, if you think that you are in a drought, if you have a rain shower, then that is welcoming, it's refreshing, and that's kind of a little bit like happiness in that it's short-lived, it's dependent on circumstances, it's dependent on the clouds going past, bringing the rain, it comes, it refreshes for a short period, but then it passes on again, and then maybe you're back to the drought again. It's kind of a transient feeling of emotion, whereas joy is something that is more like a well, or a spring, or a fountain. I think in the kids' song, it talked about a fountain of joy. And I think that joy can be like a deep well, because regardless of circumstances, it's always there, always providing the water for that dry area, regardless of whether or not rain comes or goes, regardless of circumstances. This is what Dwight L. Moody says, Happiness is caused by things that happen around me. Circumstances will mar it. But joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It's an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know. Because you see, God doesn't promise happiness, but he does promise joy. And joy is that assurance that God is in control regardless of what's going on, that quiet confidence that everything's going to be all right, and the conscious decision that you're going to keep on praising God regardless So I believe you're currently doing a preaching series on the fruit of the Spirit, and we have in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which is why we've got to joy today. Now, 
I sometimes sort of think, well, you know, we've got the fruit of the Spirit, we've got the gifts of the Spirit, well, aren't they all kind of the same thing? Well, I'd like to just show you a little analogy. So this is a picture of my apple tree in my garden. You'll like this, being a gardener. So my apple tree in the garden. Now, having a gift of the Spirit is like the gardener making a swing and putting it on that apple tree. It is a gift from the gardener to the apple tree. Now, actually, that gift of the swing is not really for the benefit of the tree. It's actually for the benefit of my kids that are going to go and sit on that swing. Okay? So gifts gifts of the Spirit are things that you don't generate in yourself. They're things that the Holy Spirit give you for the benefit of others. Fruit of the Spirit, however, are the apples that will grow in my apple tree. Okay, nice juicy apple tree, actually from my apple tree and preserved in my shed. It's kept quite well, I hope. Not too many bugs on the inside. So the point about apples is that they are grown from the tree itself. Can I ask you, is it Mary, is that right? Yes. What do you need for those apples to grow on the tree? Water, yeah. Sun. Anything else? Fertilizer, yeah, nutrition. And I think, you know, the analogy can be carried over, can't it, into our own Christian lives. What do we need for our fruit to grow? Well, we need to have our roots in the Holy Spirit. We need to be immersing ourselves in reading the Bible, in developing that relationship with God. We've been talking, haven't we, about how happiness comes from human relationships and joy similarly comes from relationships with God, with other people, with finding our our husbands becoming Christians. That is where we get our joy from, is having that relationship, that deep, meaningful relationship with God. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because this apple actually is not really even for the benefit of the apple tree. What's the apple good for? What's the purpose of an apple? Eating it, so it's for the nutrition of other people. And what else, What, as far as the apple tree is concerned? Seed, yeah, so it's for reproduction. Now, if we grow great big fruity apples that look attractive, that is going to be drawing other people into the kingdom. So, the other key thing that I'm sure you do, Mary, for your apple tree, is that if you want bigger and better fruit, you prune it. Now, according to the Royal Horticultural Society, apple and pear trees trained as freestanding bushes are best pruned every winter to ensure a good cycle of fruiting wood. Trees that are not pruned become less productive and congested with old branches. So, John, that's your job for this afternoon. (laughs) Another job. (laughs) 
But it's interesting, isn't it, because Jesus knew a bit about gardening a long time before the British Horticultural Society, and he said, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. But pruning involves knives. Okay, and cutting. Be careful with this, it's very sharp. And pain. So suddenly, we've moved from something that's kind of quite nice, like joy, which is, you know, happiness, to actually we're talking about knives and cutting and pain. What's that about? So let's have a little look at what the Bible says about joy. Well, interestingly, there's only about 20 references to happiness, but there are 174 references to joy in the Old Testament and 68 in the New. And do you know what? Over half of them, joy is in the context of pain and suffering. So let's have a look. So first of all, where do we get joy from? We've already touched on this. We get joy from our relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, and also with relationships with other people. In his letters, Paul repeatedly told other Christians in other places that he was writing to how much joy he was getting from hearing about them. For instance, this example in Thessalonians. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when it comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And I think we've touched on that, haven't we, about how other people and our relationships with other people give us joy. Is it going to get there? There we go. Joy also gives us strength and motivates us. It says in Nehemiah, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy is apparently much more apparent during times of suffering. The joy of the Lord gives us strength and makes us do things. In Hebrews, it actually tells us how Jesus was given strength to go through the the trials of the cross because of the joy set before him. Joy also provokes a reaction. It makes you sing and shout. If you're filled with joy, you can't help but shout about it. And and it says in Psalm 100, verse 1, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And then finally, joy is permanent and complete. It says in John, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. So when sorrow ends, joy remains. So coming back to our passage, we've already worked out that joy seems to be inextricably linked to times of grief and trouble. So Jesus knew he was about to die. He knew his disciples were about to face unbearable grief. And yet, he talks about the amazing amount of joy that is soon to come. So 
It's almost as if without the period of suffering, you can't get the joy. And he likens it to a mum in labour. Now, having got three kids, I can really appreciate this analogy. I remember going through 24 hours of absolute... It was not nice. It was, the pain was terrible. It was frightening. It was intense. It was horrendous. And yet, when my oldest, Tanisha, was born, and I looked into her eyes for the first time, it was almost as if the last 24 hours was completely forgotten about. And in fact, I must have forgotten about it completely, because I went on to have two more. (laughs) And Paul, from his many of his letters, is writing from prison, and he is suffering in a very real and practical way, but repeatedly... (coughs) saying about how faith of others is bringing him joy. So this link between tears and suffering and joy is repeatedly expressed in the Psalms, which also talks again and again about the relationship with the Lord, which is the basis for real joy. And this lovely passage from Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will harvest with shouts of joy, They weep as they go to sow their seed, but sing as they return with their harvest. So look at this. They are sowing seeds, what of? Of tears, of suffering. And yet they're reaping fruit of joy. Let me show you something. I hope this doesn't go horribly wrong. So in the middle of my apple is an apple seed, a dark black kernel of pain and suffering and tears. And round that black kernel of pain and suffering and tears is this beautiful fruit of joy. Though that sow in tears of pain will reap a harvest of joy. We tend to think, don't we, that life comes in hills and valleys, so we have a really great experience and then we get a really bad experience. But I think actually real life is more like train tracks. Let me explain. On one side of your train track, you have things that happen to you all the time that are good and positive and enriching and bring you joy. And on the other side of the track, you have things that are disappointing to you, that bring you heartache, that bring you trouble, that upset you. And these two tracks, both joy and sorrow, actually run parallel with you all through your life. But if you look at this picture, as it gets further away into the distance, you can't actually see the two tracks. They merge into one. And that's what it's going to be like ultimately when we go to heaven is that these two tracks of joy and sorrow will merge and the joy will enrich, the the sorrow will enrich the joy and actually we will eventually see Jesus at the end of the train track as we get to heaven and it will all make perfect sense. I 
I'm going to tell you a story now about a friend of mine called Edward. There's Edward there. Now, I first met Edward in, when I first started at university. I met him on the very first day. Uh, he was downstairs in my accommodation block from me, and it was great for me as a young student to know that I had a good Christian friend right in the same block for the first year at university. We became really good friends. Um, he wasn't doing the same course as me, but we had a lot of friends in common. We went on to share a house with a couple of other friends, and following university, he went on to be ordained as a vicar in the Church of England. And in fact, when Jonathan and I got married, um, our wedding was the first wedding that he officiated at, which was really special. But last summer, we heard some really devastating news. At the age of just 49, Edward had contracted a vicious form of blood cancer, and he was going downhill rapidly. He and his wife knew that he was dying. He had three young, got, they've got three young children, and they knew that this was the last few weeks of his life. And they sent out a number of prayer letters and emails. And I'd like to read you an excerpt from one of these prayer letters. We want to share the hope we have with our friends and family, but we also want people to know that the strength, the joy, and hope that we have been given is the gift of God, not something we've managed to muster up in ourselves. Left to our own devices, we'd be in a very different place. But God has supplied what we have needed every day. We want this truth to encourage and strengthen those around us. So in the middle of that family's incredible grief and suffering, God gave them faith and joy that just shone through like a beacon. So Edward and his family, through unimaginable suffering, found joy. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, anticipating unimaginable suffering, spoke of a cup of joy that would overflow. And maybe today you're suffering. Maybe you're feeling sorrowful. Maybe you're weeping tears. Maybe you can only see one side of that railway track. Well, God promises a harvest of joy. A joy that's permanent and eternal. A joy that's richer and sweeter because of what you're going through now. A joy that will give you strength going through the dark times and that will make you sing God's praises. Ask using the name of Jesus and you will receive and your cup of joy will overflow. Amen.